on ABC Radio. This is The Big Fish with Scott Levi. It's The Big Fish. G'day. Coming up, Roden Woodhams with tales of a Mexican in the deep north. The singing fisherman Mike McCarthy on his Around Australia musical Fishing Odyssey. Stinker shares some great yarns from his Tweed Heads Fishing Round Table and talks about the plight of the pippy. And our first cast this episode of The Big Fish, CEO of Ozfish Unlimited, Craig Copeland, former New South Wales DPI fisheries worker, on fixing the problem of fish passage on the Darling, which really did exacerbate that terrible fish kill out that way. Craig Copeland is the CEO of Ozfish Unlimited and has years and years of experience when it comes to looking after Australian fish, particularly our rare and beautiful native fish like the mighty Murray cod and the trout cod and the yellow belly and the Macquarie perch. He loves them all and uh, no doubt shed a few tears that added to the, uh, the swollen waters of the Darling Craig when you saw that horrendous fish kill. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Scott. No, it was a bad, bad uh, time, for particularly for people that live in the Darling and, and for all people in the, in the country that you know, look after our waterways and, and care about fish. And Craig, as a, a person with vast experience, how long has fish passage uh, or have fishways been on the agenda for that part of the Darling? Because we saw a massive movement of fish from the southern basin up into the north in the floods, but sadly they couldn't get back. Um, the fishways have been on the agenda, uh, in, particularly in New South Wales, uh, you know, since the, the early um, 2000s, particularly 1997, we had a really, you know, the, the uh, light bulb moment from Martin Mellon Cooper, designed the, the first uh, uh, fish, uh, fishway that was good for Australian fish, was a lazy fish, as you know, compared to trout and salmon, they don't swim as fast, so we had to design a fishway for them, which, which uh, Martin and the team at Fisheries did back for Turumbri Weir, uh, which was a success. And uh, from then, we've just gone on and built you know, fishways all over the place. Um, and But the ones in the top of the Darling um, have been on the agenda as priorities for a long time. And Menindee, Main Weir, we're trying to get fish you know, from below to above it, um, has been on the agenda as the number one priority since uh, you know, probably you know, 2001, 2002. And would these Australian-designed fishways work at Menindee Weir and, and the weirs that have stopped the movement of those fish that maybe concentrated them more in that area? Menindee Main Weir is probably the most complicated place um, in the basin to design a, a fish passage for. Um, but there's some pretty smart people uh, around that have been working on the solution for a little while now, and I'm pretty sure they've come up with the way to get it passed. So, yeah, it's... It's very much doable. And we saw where there's a will, there's a way, didn't we? The uh, Hume to the Sea project, a mammoth task to put these sorts of fish passageways all the way down the, the Murray, a, a massive distance. Uh, that was and a success. A, and a brilliant. And, and look, at the, and the outcome has, has been unbelievable. And, and the fishery, like here's a perfect example. So silver perch almost, you know, can't be found now across the basin. It's just, you know, it used to be one of the most popular fish um, 
uh, quite as significant. Uh, you used to school up and, and, and move upstream, you know, in big numbers. Um, there was a story in uh, that we told an oral history from the Murrumbidgee where, the, where some of the First Nations who were talking about the, the sound that they used to make as a school moving upriver. So you can imagine how many, you know, in a school to make, you know, a sound that you could hear coming up the river. Um, and, of course, that doesn't happen anymore. But the one place that, that silver perch have, you know, been noted as, as coming back as a population um, has been in the Lower Murray because essentially we've got big areas of, of water where fish can, where, where they can move so they can get to the places they need to go to. So how good is that? Yeah, and, and this movement of fish, of course, includes the darling, doesn't it, uh, with Yellowbelly being tracked from down South Australia way, or callipers they call them there, uh, thousands of kilometres, I believe, up into that system. Yes, and, but that's only, that can only occur when you've got, you know, drown-out uh, situations occurring because, you know, Menindee's not the only problem. We've got, you know, lots of other weirs up in the Darling and the Barwon and in, and in every other tributary. Um, and so part of that issue is that, you know, we, we get some medium-sized flows or low flows might just you know, be enough at the right time of the year for the fish to go, right, oh, hang on, I'm off, let's go. And all well and good, but then if you run and then you run into a barrier, run into a weir without a fishway on it, that's, that's it. You, you stop, you're not going to go any further. So future breeding, future success, you know, in terms of improving populations is really truncated by, by uh, the lack of uh, ability to move fish past barriers. And, of course, we saw them use the unprecedented flooding to, to move, but then, yes. then they were trapped. Did that exacerbate uh, the problem? Well, every, all, all weirs without fisheries on them exacerbate problems, all sorts of problems. In particular, this blackwater problem? Oh, yeah. No, there's a, you know, fish need to be able to escape. If they can escape, they can, you know, go to other places. That's great. There are some, some of the blackwater events down in the Murray, you know, were just inescapable. There was a, the scale of it was so large. Um, but, you know, the, the, what we have to do and all of the stuff about fishways is about building resilience. So every time we can get a chance to have a breeding success, we've got to take it. You know, we've got to make sure that fish can take it. And so there's, you know, every individual barrier to fish passage, you know, really should be being fixed. And that's a big task. It's a, you know, it's a, uh, a t- you know, it's got 30 or 40, 50 years to go on it in New South Wales, but we've got to keep on going. And there are some barriers there, um, you know, in the Dar and the Bar, and if we looked at it properly, we think, well, do we really need them? Um, and they were built many years ago for certain purposes. Is the same purpose still there? Um, you know, what do the First Nations people think? Because a lot of these barriers um, were actually built on rock bars that, you know, maybe even built on, on fish traps. Um, and, you know, we need to know that and we need to have those discussions, which I think they've been, they're, they're taking place as, as we speak. So, yeah, I think there's, as I said, there there are problems, there's barriers all over the place, but there are solutions and people working on it. And I, and unfortunately, the situation occurred at Manindi, but um, I hopefully hopefully it's the uh, the kick in the guts that everyone needed to um, you know make something happen. All right. So looking at the weirs that are not necessary, getting a natural flow, and and uh, establishing fish passage 
could be three things to come out of this disaster. We've had the Premier out at Menindee this week and possibly uh, the local people are putting that to him. We'll certainly put your thoughts to him um, if we can as well. But thanks for your your uh, knowledge there on, on that one, Craig. Obviously, having worked within uh, the department for, for a long time, you've you really been following this with interest for, for decades. I have, Scott, and thanks for the time. Craig Copeland there, the CEO of Ozfish Unlimited. A big theme on the big fish this morning is have Rod Will travel, the travelling fisher person, and I think often fishing is just an excuse to visit far-flung exotic places and meet the people. Roden, good morning. Good morning, Scotty. How are you, mate? Well, thanks, Roden Woodhams. And you've travelled this far, brown land and the world, really, yes. with angling as a bit of an excuse to get around. But some of the stories you gather, uh, it's just great. And for a, a Victorian boy to end up in the in the far north, up in, in Cairns, uh, that was a bit of uh, bit of fun for you, wasn't it? Uh, tell us a story about the, the Mexican in the, uh, the deep north. Anyway, so this young bloke turns up in Cairns at the Freshwater Caravan Park, Scotty, on the Freshwater Creek, on the outskirts of Cairns, in tropical far north Queensland, 113 kilos, as wide as your mum's best-pressed linen bed sheet. <laughs> been, working, been working nights, bouncing in nightclubs. So I look like a ghost, so I rock up to Cairns, go and hang out with my mum, my stepdad, Walt, at the Freshwater Caravan Park. They were building a couple of houses around the corner. Anyway, I get up the very first morning I'm there, 9.30, I'm walking down. Heavily armed I was, Scotty. I had the Shakespeare 025 metal body to trout fishing uh, reel <laughs> on a dial of two-piece six-foot loaded with brown maxima, three kilo, and a whole bunch of little tiny Rapala trout lures. And as I walk around the corner, I'd walk straight past the office and the caretaker and the owner's hut. 9.30, of course, that day morning, there was a couple of longs and necks in hands, of course, the famous forex. <laughs> and these blokes are just staring at me. Everyone in the caravan park is just looking at me. I had no idea what was going on. Didn't care. I was in FNQ, and I was going fishing, and I was going to catch a barra. <laughs> With a tiny, tiny spiderweb line, trout gear from... Down in, yep. in, in yep. Mexico, you've been fishing yep. the Yarra or somewhere, and, and then yep. and you've, got, yep. you've got giant barry, you've got mangrove jacks that'll pull you into the water. I mean, how did, yep. you, how did it go? The owner of the park, Dave, looked at me and said, what do you think you're doing? And I just looked him straight in the eye and said, I'm going to catch a barra, Dave, because uh, my uh, stepdad and Dave were mates. And he goes, in the Freshwater Creek, he goes, mate, I've lived here for two years. I've fished two days a week. The pros have netted every barrow in 100 miles, and I've never even hooked one. And I just looked at it and went, okay. Wandered off down to the swimming hole, which was populated by about 40 Aboriginal kids. Their mums were all sitting up the bank. Well, they all started pissing themselves laughing as well because I don't think they'd ever seen anything as bright orange or as white <laughs> as me in the Aussie rules shorts down the singlet, <laughs> standing at the edge of the creek. Anyway, the old girls were just pissing themselves laughing. They went, you, hey, chuck it over there. All the kids moved out of the way. The kids actually had to move out of the way, so I cast this three-centimetre Rapala. I think it was a, a rainbow trout pattern from <laughs> up under the bank. 
I cranked the handle twice, and after a spirited five or six minute fight in crystal clear water, I got myself a jack about a kilo. Everyone's cheering and laughing, so I promptly give the jack to the old girl. They're like, yeah, yeah, cast under that ball there and barra there. And I went, yes, I cast him. I caught a 30 centimetre barra, broke the duck, but the next cast was right up under the bank, mate, and whatever hit that, Mate, it just peeled off 20 metres line, but around the shadow of the pool, and then cartwheeled up, and it was 85 centimetres long, and eight kilos exactly. Now, you might wonder how I know that. The story continues. I get broken off, so I charge back up to the caravan park. Dave's still sitting there, four exits. What are you doing? So there's a big bar in the pool. He goes, mate, you're off your head. You're still in nightclub land from Melbourne. I went, don't worry about me, mate. I'm all good. So I go back to the caravan, still on the three kilo gear. I grab myself a foot-long steel leader and a Nils Master spearhead. I go back down there, second cast. All the Aboriginal kids move for me again, second cast. Bang, and it is all on, right? All on. This thing comes out of the water, jumps all around the pool, the kids are hollering, screaming, the mothers are going off. Anyway, it finally gets subdued by about eight, 11-year-olds. <laughs> they corralled the fish into the shallows and jumped all over it and then presented me with my 80, 85 and a half centimetres and eight kilos. I've got it by the lip. I've walked straight up there, glowing white, all ginger-haired, grinning from ear to ear. And Dave saw me coming, and he got such a shock, he dropped his beer and smashed it on the ground, Scotty. Oh, that's a shock if you drop your long neck of 4X up there in the in the tropics. I've got, I got, got to tell our listeners about this bloke, because uh, Roden and I went on a, a mission to catch Jewfish, and I think you may remember that episode of The Big Fish, and we went out in monstrous seas to collect live bait, and we got a tank full of beautiful uh, yakas under the, the escarpment of, of um, uh, West Head up in the Hawkesbury. Then we went back to our secret spot on the estuary and, and uh, fished all night. I went to sleep. I was knackered from uh, doing the breakfast show that morning. And in the middle of the night, I hear this thumping and banging and this huge uh, orangutan of a bloke is bouncing from the, the bridge to the to the roof on this 30-foot boat that uh, was, uh, yeah, very seaworthy uh, and... Uh, back to the cabin and then I, you know, I've never seen anyone he was like a mountain goat on on pingers or something he was <laughs> he was everywhere what had happened was uh, the live baits on the big you know 50 uh, pound outfits weren't touched so he threw down a, a cube of yellow tail on a six pound brim outfit and hooked an 80 plus centimeter dewy and uh, proceeded to catch it. So he does know how to catch a big fish on light line. I, I can add some credence to this story, Roden. And we got that, Dewey. It was an absolute beauty, but fancy it taking the, the spiderweb brim outfit when we had the big liveys on the 20-kilo the uh, rigs. And, and I think that's the, the, the tale, isn't it, that you're up there in North Queensland. These fish have seen huge leaders and giant lures, and, and they're throwing... You know, telegraph pole rods at them when you've gone in with with fine and far off, and you know they they cannot resist something that's so natural. Well, I got voted smallest fishing rod in the caravan park. <laughs> there you go. But it says something about fishing as light as you can, because these these fish they they can't see it, can they? If you're down to you know three kilo gear or something, when they're used to giant leaders, they they know what's going on in that crystal clear uh, tropical stream. Oh, look, you know, some, someone told me once when I was up there, 
they said, oh, these, you know, these jungle perch are hard to catch. And I just looked at him sideways. Because I did something Queenslanders don't do. I walked the creeks, you know. So you've got to be prepared to encounter snakes and and larger things. Oh, that leads me to another story of stupidity. Um, so I used to walk all the creeks. So I walked up the Crystal Cascades that walked all the way up the mountain. I think caught 156 uh, jungle perch in a day, and the biggest was 35 centimetres. Oh, what what great fish. And don't you see lots of them down low in the in the swimming spots? But they... They just they're smarter than the swimmers. They know that they're anything you throw at them, they won't eat. You know, they're absolutely on the lookout for natural food and, and they're almost impossible to fool. Well, my 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 lust for jungle perch and mangrove jack led me downstream on the uh on the freshwater creek where it runs into the Barren River. I'd been sneaking down there, dressed in a wetsuit with a hoodie on, covered in deet because of the mosquitoes. So everyone thought I was crazy, you know, and I just had no regard for, uh, for personal safety at all because the fishing was magnificent. But if you took your goggles off, the mosquitoes would bite you on the eyelids. <laughs> so many. That's how, that's how fierce they were. Anyway, so I'm down the creek one day, crystal clear, four foot deep. And as I walked into the section, there was a couple of mangrove jack just hanging on a log. And as I went to cast at them, they just vanished. And I threw the lure high and got it tangled up in the branch of a mangrove tree. So I got out of the creek, which I was wading in, climbed up the mangrove tree, shinned out, hanging upside down to get my lure back because lures are expensive, looked over my shoulder, and a 10-foot crocodile just slid around the corner and was just looking. And I was hanging from the branch, not four foot, above its head. And it just glided down the pool, went around the corner and kept going. And I never ever went near a creek ever again. <laughs> I couldn't get out of the tree for about 15 minutes, Scotty. When you get up there from, from down south and you see these streams, I was at a, a stream at the back of Innisfail with my brother-in-law um, and, and living in Townsville as a young radio announcer, and, and I found this beautiful crystal clear stream running through a cane farm, and we put in at the bridge, and we went up and went up, and uh, we are actually catching sooty grunter. Uh, and they were just fantastic fun. And the water was so clear, you know, and those big blue butterflies under the, the jungle canopy. It was just such a beautiful place. And I had a, had a ball catching sooty grunter on the fly rod. Don't they give you some fun on a little surface fly? They, yeah. they are just, oh, they're great. And, and once one gets interested off the snag, there's 50 more <laughs> that want to want to play the game. And, and that was great fun. And we got back to the bridge and the cane cocky, uh, turned up with his bins on the back of his truck, you know, and, and, and he said, hey, have a look at the other side of this bridge. And uh, we looked over the other side of the bridge and there's this, this crocodile slide. And he said, that's a 17-foot croc with with three legs. Um, he said one of them was bitten off by one that was probably bigger and you buggers have been up <laughs> up there wading up this creek. It was sort of sandy and mostly ankle deep with the, the odd hole with the, with the uh, sooty grunter in it but I was thinking those things you know they're the masters of of camouflage they'll sit on the bottom of one of those little holes and wait for the pig or for the idiot fisherman won't they well you know it's just not the crocs either I can remember being uh, 240 kilometres from the gulf on I think it's the Richmond River near Chiligo absolute fresh water freshwater crocs everywhere anyway we're camped up at a billabong uh, mum and wall and me we had to the floats out, so I've got a big cherubin, about a 10-inch long cherubin out under a float. And it goes off in the dark, and everyone's thinking Barra, of course. 
Anyway, there's line peeling off my 15 kilo outfit. I'm like, this is no barra, whatever this is. Had no idea it was our first trip up there. So fought the thing in the dark for 50 minutes up and down the riverbank like you saw me run on the boat, Scott. Yes, yes. I was charging up and down the riverbank, jumping over trees while we were with the light. Mum was yelling and screaming. Finally, we get this thing. It goes right back to basically where I hooked it. And about the 50th minute, we finally get it up out of the out of the dirty water, and we've got a near six foot long bull shark. Oh, 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 oh. yeah, it was 240 kilometres from the ocean, and this thing's you know in dirty water after the rain, and it's there it is. And I'm just looking at it, going, I was swimming in that crystal clear water yesterday. We've had rain, now it's dirty. Look at that thing. Yeah, and it's eating a cherubin. Just, it's eating a cherubin. Uh, ate a cherubin. Yeah. yeah. Hey, they're good to eat too, aren't they? They're not a bad oh, thing to have around the campfire. I would suggest to you this. They rule all. They rule all. You reckon they're the, the gun crustacean, do you? Yeah, absolutely. Until you sat down in the bush with a plate with six 11-inch long cherubim on it and you fold that sweet, juicy white flesh over, and you put that in your mouth and chew it like you chew a piece of uh, kilogram, you know, you know, crayfish from Tasmania, and that's the end, right there at the end. You just discovered Nirvana, <laughs> and that's what we were catching up there. We'd get ten or fifteen a day. And what was your method? You have a little pot, or how did you catch them? Well, we had a little pot, and uh, that leads me to another very sad story. A very close friend of mine. Um, left his yabby trap in a creek recently and killed a, uh, a full-grown male water rat. Oh, the Rakali, they're the Australian native otters, I like to call them. They're beautiful, aren't they? They're, they're the most beautiful animal yeah. in existence. So, folks, if you're out trapping on the river, don't leave your pots in because you will catch the last platypus and the last water rat. The water rat is a term that justifies description. Yeah, you know? they're beautiful they're little animals, beautiful animals. Well, yeah. I actually know this creek and I know the individual that was unfortunately killed and it was uh, very brave of the person that made this mistake to tell me because he's not a he's not a bad-natured man at all, yeah? He just had yeah, no idea. Yeah, it's a just shame. And, and I don't like the fact that they do still sell those opera house uh, yes. pots, which are okay in your in your farm <clears throat> farm down, dam, but anywhere near our, our you know, rivers, uh, they're, they're no good. I remember as a young bloke, we found him on the Hopkins River, moon the old man, and uh, he lost his shit, so we started pulling them all out. And in one of them was a platypus. And yeah. we got it out alive. Yeah, we took it home and put it in the bath for a couple of days and oh. made sure it was all right. Oh, well done. Yeah, they'd kill the platypus, so they're, they're no no good at all. So you can catch the cherubim on, on a little line too, can't you? A little bit of bait. Yeah, yeah. You, you can nipper them up and bait them, but the best thing in the world for them is just you drop dilly pot, yeah, and, uh, yeah, they're very um, safe dilly pots. They're, there's no right. problem with those. They don't trap anything other than well, look, what you lift up. Time, a lot of the time, Scott, you're sight fishing. So you're out in a tree, lowering your pot down in the water, and mum's velvet soap, <laughs> of all <laughs> things, of all things. They love soap, don't they? What is wrong with them? Do they have a, you know, a BO problem or something? Why do they come to soap? This is This is one of the great mysteries of the... Of the north, and they they extend in the in the tropical waters, don't they? From Western Australia, yes. right right around to yes. to Queensland, in in the well, fresh were, in the fresh water, of course. Yeah, and the surprising thing about them, Scott, is they're so large. The ones that we're finding up there, they were just giants. 
Yeah, yeah, they're like mini lobsters, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, and it's it's king. So, you know, there's a few lessons in there if you're travelling north. One, um, take something larger than your trout rod, but don't leave your trout rod behind. Two, crocodiles have got legs, which people forget, right? And twice while I've been in Cairns, we've been walking through the bush uh, near the Daintree River around a tributary. So we're like five or 600 metres from the water on either side and have witnessed a crocodile just walking through the scrub, bro. Ah, gee, they, they give me the heebie-jeebies. They really do. Anyway, mate, th- thanks so much for sharing some of your, your riverbank adventures uh, in, in the deep north. It's a... I can just picture this young, white-skinned, big, lunking, <laughs> orange-headed galoot uh, catching fish up there. Uh, Scotty, galoot is such a good word. <laughs> Tight lines, mate. <laughs> See you, brother. Roden Woodham's there, great storyteller and a great fisherman. The Big Fish on ABC Radio. Here comes Stinker with his fishing tips. Some hot advice for your fishing trip. Where to find them? What's the bait? Are you catching any, mate? Good morning, Stinker. G'day, Scott. You're back at Fingal Bay. I'm back home. I Look, as much as I love the tweed um, and all the memories that I have, I've been a wonderful place to grow up. By golly, it's good to get it back in Fingal Bay. Oh, it is. It's my home now, and it will be for as long as I kicking around. <laughs> uh, sadly, the the pippy problem has reared its ugly head again on on beautiful Stockton Beach, one of the biggest beaches on the New South Wales coast. Uh, what's happening? Well, look, fisheries have been notified, and it's in good hands. Uh, I know a lot of the fisheries operators, and. I know that the ones that are dealing with this issue will deal with the issue. Uh, and that's all we ask, is that they have... Um, the first thing probably is a good idea is to go for a wander down the beach and get first-hand information as to how the population has been decimated. Then to maybe sit down and, and try and figure out why it's gone from um, a really good, strong population to now it's very difficult to get to cover the bottom of a bucket uh, on a beach that, that has um, historically been one of the most prolific pippy beaches on the whole east coast of Australia. So, look, I'm confident it's in the, it's in the process of being figured out and the ones that are working on it, I have confidence in them. So that's as far as we can take it at the moment until... Further information comes through. Stinker, you had a round table with the, the Knights of the Tweed. <laughs> you would have been you would have been the court jester, wouldn't you? <laughs> well, look, I tell you what, it, it's amazing when I get up there because most of my old mates never left the Tweed. They can see absolutely no reason. When you think you're in heaven, there's nowhere else better. And that's um, they've had a very uh, happy existence up there. It just so happens that I became a school teacher and left and ended up in Fingal Bay, and I reckon I'm pretty close to up there too. So, uh, uh, but it's nice to go back and sit down with your old friends that you went to Tweedheads Primary School with, and uh, say, you know, what are your memories growing up? Uh, when it's all about fish, of course. But I do recall now. See, in those days, Scott, 
really uh, what made you stand out from other other members of the school population was the size of your bag of marbles. Did you ever have marbles? <laughs> I did. I, I think I lost my marbles a long time ago, Stinker. <laughs> yeah, well, if you had marbles and you had a big and a good cross section of marbles, I mean, there were all sorts of blood alleys and conkers and glasses and cages and cat eyes. And I remember that. I could just about tell you every marble I had in my bag. And, and when you won all... the game, you'd, you'd take their marble when you were playing the game inside the ring. If you won, you claimed the marble, didn't you? That's correct, and there were all sorts of styles. There was big rig and little ring and bunny and, oh, look, and knuckle-down fingy tight. <laughs> I mean, how can I remember all this stuff? I'm blown if I know. But the other thing, of course, which was very, very uh, honoured, was a Shanghai, a good Shanghai. If you had a Shanghai and a big bag of marbles, you were king of the, king of the castle. <laughs> but, I actually thought about this when I was a kid. And at this time of the year, round about Easter, uh, all the rivers on our coast and up in the Tweed is chock-a-block full of mullet. This is going to be one of the biggest mullet seasons of all time this year. Um, and it's not far away. They'll start moving out into the into the ocean uh, um, really soon, out of the estuaries into the ocean to become sea mullet. But what I did with... Um, I thought, now, I'm going to climb up this mangrove. There was a big mangrove in the Eucarabar Passage, and I'm going to climb up this mangrove, and it hangs out over the water, and directly underneath me, these big schools of mullet, they're just gulping on the surface. And I said, righto, I'm going to get a feed of mullet to take out. So we have got my Shanghai in the pocket, one pocket, and a bag of, and my marbles, my worst marbles, the ones that had chips in them, uh, they were in my other pocket. So I climbed up the tree and I shot try, straight down, trying to dong one of these mullet on the head with a, with a marble. <laughs> anyway, I must have lost about 10 marbles before I started thinking, this is no good, I'm going to run out of marbles and I haven't got a mullet yet. But luckily, my friend had a macadamia nut tree, so I went and filled my pocket with macadamia nuts. And I think I sort of stunned one, but really, I spent half a day shooting marbles and macadamia nuts at mullet uh, without anything to take home. Well, this hopefully passed the, um, what do they call it, the, the statute of limitations or whatever when you commit a crime <laughs> but maybe it wasn't a crime in those days it probably wasn't well, I, i've never seen anything to say you can't shoot mullet <laughs> with a macadamia nut well obviously it's a pretty sustainable method because you didn't hit one <laughs> that, that's right i mean i must look up the fisheries records and i'll look it up under m for macadamia nuts and see what it says but there was another one I've got to tell you. This this is an. I used to try all these strange things. Remember when my father tied his fishing line to his Victor lawnmower? I've told you that. Yeah, the, and, the big uh, Jewy pulled it into the yeah, Terranora Lakes. That's right. Anyway, I had another idea. I've always tried my hardest to uh, do battle with Mangrove Jack. It's been Stinker versus Mangrove Jack for a long time. And I can tell you, Scott, that Mangrove Jack is a long way in front. Yeah, they uh, just, they pull so hard. The way they hit and go straight into the snag, they don't muck around, do they? They, oh, they know how to 
smash yeah. you up every time. Oh, yeah. They're very tenacious, and they're, but they're beautiful fish. Oh, gee. And I've worked out how to catch mulloway and snapper and whiting and brim and flathead. Oh, I'm sort of I'm happy with, with where I am there, but not with mangrove jack. They're... He's got me beaten everywhere at every turn. But anyway, I'm going to keep working on it. But I must tell you one night when there was a lot of action in the river. See, the, our property up at Tweedheads runs straight into the river. And my bedroom up there is only 20 metres from the water. So I'm up there one night and I've got a big bait and I'm throwing it out on a 50-pound line and I'm starting, this is it. I'm going to catch this mangrove jack and pull him out. So I'm waiting, waiting, nothing happens, so I'm getting a bit tired. So I thought, what I'll do, with it on one of those big plastic hand lines, I'll unravel 30 metres and I'll go and I'll stick it into my bedroom, through the window into my bedroom, and then I'll walk through the lounge room, jump into bed and half-hitch the fishing line around my big toe. And, and uh, look, don't ask me why I did this, but, you know, it was a good idea at the time. So anyway, I've jumped into bed and I forgot all about it until around about oh, about half past 11 or 11 o'clock at night and my leg shot out from underneath the blanket <laughs> and then, and there's something yanking at my big toe. I'm going, oh, it was really painful. And I'm thinking, oh, my, this thing's going to pull my toe off. But there's something I didn't consider, you know, and that is that now I'm in this position, how am I going to pull the fish in? I just can't skull drag it. I'm going to have to jump out the window with, with this with the fishing line stuck around my toe. So I crawled up on a chair and, and crawled out the out of the window and hopped down to the river. And then I started to pull on this fish that oh dear, whatever it was, it was a massive conger eel. You know, you've seen a conger eel. Oh, those big eels. Yeah, they, they can get about six foot long, can't they? Oh. Yeah, oh, they've got like a massive salami and uh, with teeth, and they're cranky. I've never, ever met a friendly one yet. But as soon as they see you, they want to get stuck right into you. Well, I wasn't real happy about all of this. <laughs> like you know. didn't pull it through the window into your bed. <laughs> I never thought of that. Well, actually, I did. I thought, now, if I stay in bed and pull and pull it out of the water and then there's 20 metres to my bedroom and then into the bedroom, you know. But, no, I thought it wiser <laughs> to jump out the window. Great stuff, Stinker. I just hope they sat you all far enough apart at that round table on the tweed so you could show each other how big the fish were with your outstretched <laughs> arms without <laughs> slapping each other in the chops. That's right. The scales were getting bigger and bigger. That's right. <laughs> Good but stuff. You know, Scott... It's the only creature on earth, a fish, that continually grows after it dies. That's right. That's right. I love it. Stinking tight lines. Hey, Scott. The Big Fish with Scott Levi on ABC Radio.
chance to flower again Won't you risk your life? Won't you take your chance? Would you turn a blind eye if death came to take you by the hand? Fix your gaze straight only for poems in the sand Do you want to come on a holiday Walk on the beach at night, live in the ocean by day. And then all our wasted years may have a chance to flower again. Could we stop a world war by raising our hands? Would you divert death as he stares at your fellow man? Fix your gaze straight ahead. Stop only for poems in the sand. Stop only for poems in the sand. There's a beautiful song written by our next guest on The Big Fish who loves his music, loves his fishing. There's a song about beach fishing, a song that really came to him when he was sitting on the beach at Wombrel waiting for a big salmon to grab the, the rod and put that huge arc in it and the reel to scream. Mike McCarthy, welcome back to The Big Fish. Thanks, mate. Yeah, good times on Wombie, Wombie Beach pulling in Taylor and salmon. And sitting with a, 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 an icy cold one. and, and uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's good fun, isn't it? I love Absolutely. beach. And, and that's a great place to write songs, isn't it, beach fishing? Because there, there's periods of great action with lots of time to just reflect and watch the waves roll in. Yeah, and then, you know, I think when you're fishing with bait, it's it's kind of a passive angler type of event sometimes. So there's plenty of time to think and let your thoughts stew. And and come up with great songs. Yeah. Um, you're just playing a little bit of a riff there, and I, I recognise that riff. Play it again. That's on a bass fishing video, isn't it? That's right, yeah. Uh, my uncle, Mike Collis, uh, put together a video with Phil Atkinson. I don't know, it must good, have been Good fisherman, Phil. Ago. Good fisherman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, all those guys up there. Up like on the Dave, Bellinger. Dave Ray and those fellas up there, yep. Mm. Up on the Bellinger River, and um, yeah, I've I've got some great memories of fishing with ah. him up there in his canoe, going up the rapids and up into pools up there, getting bass. Great fun, and that's the total opposite. Bass fishing so active with fly or lure, top top water particularly is so exciting. Isn't the Bellinger beautiful? Looking up oh, at the it's, mountains, it's such an untouched river. And that, that that song that I just played a little riff from, uh, Shelter in the Sea, that was actually written after that a bit of a fishing trip up the Bellinger because you've just got those beautiful cobblestones and the water running through them and oh, mm. just you know going through those farms 
uh, fishing in pools with with lures. And my uncle makes uh, little thong lures, you know, like top water thong lures, and yeah, uh, just such good memories. Beautiful, beautiful area up there. Mike, you did something really fantastic too, didn't you? You packed your guitars and your instruments and your your dearest darling life partner <laughs> before the two kids came along, yeah. and and you took off in the old troop carrier. Yeah. And on a, all you had was your musical instruments, camping gear, and your fishing rods. Pretty much, yeah. Take us, take us on that adventure, <laughs> the, the Australia fishing adventure. Oh, look, it was amazing. We, one of the first, well, we went south first, so we went down the south coast and just just some beautiful areas down there. Did a lot of beach fishing down there, actually, and then um, and a lot, a lot off the rocks uh, down past Naruma and that kind of area. And then yeah, down to the snowy mountains and all up there, just trying my hand at trout fishing. I didn't really succeed there, but I had a bit of fun trying. And um, when you'd start to run out of money, you'd put on a gig. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I'd go and uh, find a pub or or a um, someone's house and set up in their living room and play a gig, and people would buy our CDs and that sort of thing when CDs were a thing. Um, and yeah, it was a great trip. Like from there down to Tassie, catching catching flatties and those those beautiful salmon that they get down there. Yeah. They're, all, they're a bit smaller. Yeah, than yeah, they're quite salmon. nice to eat, yeah. yeah and really those tasty. blue spot flathead are great. You got, I they're remember great. you sending me a photo of one you caught off a pristine beach in Tassie that was just gorgeous. It was big. It was big for that species yeah, that, too. that was a good one. I, we, we paddled, my, my brother-in-law and I paddled out off the beach in our double-person kayak that we took around Australia too, had that on the roof. So we paddled out off this beach. We nearly went under. We nearly got swamped, but we caught a couple of flathead. Managed to ride a wave in, and uh, yeah, it was great. Be able to, I think yeah. I posted that one to you. <laughs> so how did how did, how geared up were you in the old trooper? You had it. It sounded like you had everything. You had the double kayak. You had all the fishing yeah, gear, the, we were, the music gear. We were pretty loaded up. We were sleeping out of the back of it, but we also had a, a big tent on on top for when it got too tight. Um, and yeah, we we just had everything in there: the kitchen and. The whole bit, lots of surfboards and all the toys to to get out and have fun. Oh, we did great a lot stuff. Of hiking as well, like it was fantastic. Yeah, what a what a fantastic adventure and feeding yourself along the way. I never forget a, a surfing trip we had to Crescent Head on the mid north coast, which is a beaut mal wave. And and I know you surf all sorts of different craft, but I had my ten foot mal and you had your mal and we got it really good. Actually, it was chest. We got a really good spot. Yeah, yeah, chest we're, high we're, we're and, and uh, offshore and pumping. And Mike said, oh, I'll take care of the food, don't worry. <laughs> and he pulled a box out of the back and had a few few vegetables and uh, a, a bottle of chilli paste. Yeah, that's all you need. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I said, what are we going to do with this? He said, well, we'll go. Oh, you had a, a, a bag of $2 bread. Yep. Well, it might have been $1 bread in those days. And he said, don't worry, we'll, we'll go up to Hathead and we'll, we'll catch enough fish to, to do a stir fry. Yep. <laughs> so off we went to Hathead and we burly with the bread and we used it for bait and you had a few soft plastics and we caught some great fish in the creek and off the beach, a flathead, beautiful brim, and we got enough fish for, uh, you know, to bone them and skin them and, and put all the meat into the stir fry and then you had the lovely chilli paste through it with the, yeah, the fresh yeah. vegetables and it was one of the best meals I've ever had. Ah, oh, fantastic. Yeah, well, much to my wife's horror, that's sort of the way I still roll when I go camping. <laughs> it's just like, oh, I'm just trust that I'm going to catch a fish and... Uh, <laughs> Veggies and a bit of chilli paste and some oyster sauce or something. and uh, It was a great meal. In the walk and away you go over the campfire. <laughs> we, we had a great trip. And uh, how far north did you get? So you mentioned you got all the way down to Tassie. How far north did you get in the old troopy? Uh, yeah, we, we got up to like Kakadu. We spent a fair bit of time up in Kakadu with, with a friend of mine and uh, stayed up around there uh, working with some, some of the kids at Children's Ground, which is there in Jabiru. Uh, they're still 
running some great programs for Indigenous crew up there, and I did a bit of music with those guys. Uh, there was a great band called the Black Rock Band. They ended up doing quite well. And, um, yeah, we went out fishing with the guys out, out on some of the billabongs and got carried away by mosquitoes, but managed to pull a couple of barramundi in. And, uh, yeah, one night we were out actually sitting on the top of my troop carrier on the bonnet because of the crocs, so it was dark, and we are on the edge of this billabong, and we are up on our bonnet <laughs> throwing big lures in the billabong and p- catching huge barramundi, but we couldn't even drag them up into the grass, and we couldn't get down off the troopy because of crocs, so we are just losing these massive Jeez. fish in and, the and grass. And like fishing by sound, really. You go Pretty plop, much. plop, 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 bang, bang. Yeah, yeah, boom. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and then there's giant crocs all around you. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, we had our hoodies on and stuff in this blasting heat but because of the mozzies we had to be fully covered so that was that was a really good memory but it was a bit sketchy <laughs> you didn't thinking land, back on it you didn't land one all you did was oh, feed the crop I saw, I saw one on the grass nice bit of silver flashing around but i didn't dare get down at the time no, no. <laughs> wow what an adventure yeah. and and did you go around to western australia or did you get that far uh we didn't end up getting that far because we got down to tassie and then we we shot across to south australia we spent a fair bit of, we spent too much time in tassie because it was so good that when we got to south australia we got called up to do a gig up in um alice springs and then another mate of mine from darwin said oh we've got a few gigs for you up here so we decided to shoot straight up through the middle which was really great we got to mm. go up through the middle of the country and uh, see see all of that area. It's just experiencing the desert was different for me because I'm a water person, so it was a fantastic experience for us, but then we were just hungry to get back to some uh, ocean. Yeah. yeah. And now you've got two little beautiful kids? Yeah, a two-year-old and a five-year-old, and, uh, yeah, they're just amazing, like just incredible. But they sure uh, chew up a lot of your time, and uh, I'm trying to get my little boy into fishing and uh, so we can get out in the boat and, yeah, get some more fish and get, get him hooked. Yeah, yeah. Got a great fishing song to go out with. Uh, you wrote with a mate? Yeah, this one's uh, with a mate called Dan Hannaford. He's up on the north coast uh, around Brunswick Heads. He's a fantastic singer-songwriter himself. One of the busiest, most hard-working musicians in the game, I reckon. So, yeah, I wrote this one with Dan. It's called Gone Fishing. Mike McCarthy, thanks for joining us on The Big Fish. Thank you.
with Scott Levi on ABC Radio. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.